0: Welcome to episode 353 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and I am over the moon, uh, that's Earth's moon, and I am over the moon, that's Luna, Earth's moon, as known as in Mass Effect 1, because I recently finished Mass Effect 3, it was my first time playing it since when it was brand new in 2012 and i am so excited to talk about it with you for our third and final game of month of mass effect and seven of november 2022 but uh who are the other commander shepherds that joined me for this mass effect journey they are wes iliff hey everybody and John logan
1: Hey, wow, this is this has been going on for so long, and we're finally finishing it off. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, uh, I think we started talking about doing Mass Effect for the podcast um, in February or March, because uh, we had just done KOTOR for the podcast, Jono, and you had not played Mass Effect before, but Audra and I sang its praises quite a bit. So that, I and uh, I pardon if this is not exactly how it happened, but that at least got you more interested than you were in it than before. Yeah. So when we floated the idea out, I I was interested in replaying the trilogy because again, this is my first time replaying it since the 2011-2012 range. Uh you were you were also into it, so I, you know, gauged interest from others in RPG fan and wes that's where you stepped in. So we've been basically planning this and uh knew that we we're going to do Mass Effect for the podcast since March or April of 2022. And then we're sort of playing these and recording these episodes out since June or July of 2022. So this has been months in the making, and I hope you guys had as, uh, a, as good a time as I did. Oh, yeah, completely. I'm
1: absolutely thrilled to death that I got to play these games. I had such a good time playing them.
2: These are games I can play and replay over and over and over again, which I feel like I proved over these last several months,
0: uh, having replayed them for the first time in oh a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the baby bear in this scenario. I'm the I'm the one that's in between the two extremes. Jono, you played them for the first time. Uh, Mass Effect started out in uh, 2007 and then uh, the trilogy ended with Mass Effect 3 in 2012 with some DLC for Mass Effect 3 going into 2013. Uh, I, I've played Mass Effect 1 a couple times, but 2 and 3 only once each. Um, uh, but Wes, you have played the entire trilogy multiple times, and uh, this is just a particular favorite of yours. But uh, dare I say, Jono, is, is this maybe a new favorite of yours as well?
1: Yeah, it's terrific. I mean, I liked it so much. I played Andromeda,
0: which is not something I've done. So, maybe, so you're taking it a step further than I have. Although it's not for want of trying, for some reason Andromeda will not download properly on my PS5. Um, I might, I might have to find other means to play it eventually. Should I want? Should I decide to? And you want to know what? I really
1: enjoyed Andromeda. Uh, it it adapted many of the things. It felt a lot more like Mass Effect One, and not just because it was the start of a new story. It's because there was a vehicle you drive around the landscapes. Like there were a lot of things in it that really reminded me of the first mass uh, mass effect. Um, I really liked it. I think that it has a lot of potential, even though it is not quite as popular as uh, the trilogy.
0: I think you might be playing a slightly improved version of it. Cause uh, one problem with Andromeda was that it was hugely buggy when it came out. People like, you know, uh, heads twisting around necks like it, like the exorcist, for example.
1: Yeah. There's, there were very few bugs when I played it, but then again, I played it like years after it came out. So
0: yeah, I, again, I am slightly interested in Andromeda, but uh, for for technical reasons, I was unable to start it when I attempted to play it over the summer. And uh, I am I, not going to say we're going to play it for Retro Encounter because we have a, a lot of other plans in the coming months. Uh, Wes, has your ch- um, impressions of uh, Mass Effect, the original trilogy, changed since you last played it? Not really, save that. I realize
2: more and more just how much power they have over me, you know, um, the, the idea that I can play and replay these so many times and not get tired of it. And seeing exactly how well Mass Effect 3 still holds up, um, despite some of the, the turbulent times it had on release, um, it just speaks to the quality of these games.
0: Yeah, and let's focus on Mass Effect three now, because again, we did finish playing the trilogy uh, in time for this recording. But this episode is going to be all about uh, Mass Effect three, the final game of the trilogy. I I think I like it more now than I did in twenty twelve, and part of it because well, part of that is because I got to enjoy everything that was released in the post game for Mass Effect three. Because I, I think I beat the game in something like six days after I got it in uh, spring twenty twelve. So playing it on Legendary Edition this time around, um, the visuals and textures are a little better than they were back on my old PS3. Uh, And I also got to play through several rounds of DLC that came uh, included with the Legendary Edition. Um, So this is my first time playing Omega, Citadel, and Leviathan. And also I got the improved ending, which was, you know, still a little bit... uh, uh um still not quite as as layered a, as i wish it was but uh, but an improvement over what i remember from 10 years ago so uh yeah we're all very positive on the entire mass effect thr- trilogy there will be more praise for it later i promise but let's go mm-hmm. into the uh, meat of the game they start you in media rests in mass effect 3 uh you are on earth um basically grounded and forbidden from taking part in any uh international politics because of uh shepherd is in you know a political hot water for what happened in the events of mass effect 2 arrival ba- basically because you destroyed a huge uh batarian settlement to delay the reaper invasion um but a lot of people around the galaxy don't believe in the reaper invasion just yet um Ma- uh, shepherd is accused of being a mass murderer of uh of in the high hundreds of thousands or low millions number of Batarians, which is a, basically an atrocity. And uh, your commanders like uh, Anderson and Hackett are sympathetic, but that me- the end game of this is that Shepard is not, is is forbidden from leaving earth for two years. So Mass Effect three begins on earth with Shepard, being called into uh, to, to Alliance leadership uh, because they've detected the beginning of the Reaper invasion and practically partway through that conversation, the Reapers attack earth and you uh, as commander Shepard are like fleeing from exploding bil- buildings along with uh, Admiral Anderson and uh, get and finding your way to uh, uh, to the new version, the a new Alliance version of the Normandy spacecraft along with uh, a, a new human squad mate, uh, James Vega. And uh, and I and I think um, if they if they survived, uh, either Ashley or Caden is with you as well. But because I think all three of us saved Ashley in Mass Effect One, can can we just say Ashley going forward? Who's Caden? <laughs> right, yeah, I think right. that's fair. Okay, so so I don't I don't have to say Vermier survivor or human squad mate awkwardly. We're we're just gonna say Ashley. Okay. Yeah,
1: human squad mate <laughs> Ashley,
0: the only human squad mate, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Now we have James Vega as well. So there's there's two human squad mates or. or also known as Freddy Prince Jr. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. Freddy Prince. So yes, uh, uh, Vermeers survivor and Swole Freddy Prince Jr. Uh, and and Commander Shepard uh, all escape um, to seek out a Prothean um, artifact that was discovered on Mars because they, they think that might be the key to stopping the Reaper invasion. There, you meet up with uh, with Liara to Sony. Uh, who's a full team squad mate now, like she was in Mass Effect One? My blue wife. Yeah, uh, she was my blue wife, and I and I reconnected with my blue wife in this game because again, my my version of Shepard uh, hates aliens but is very attracted to them. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, my, uh, my my romance path in the the trilogy this time around was Liara, then Thane, then Liara again. Uh, d- did you uh, romance Liara all three uh, games through, Jono?
1: Yeah, I did. I was my my Shepard was. A very, very monogamous lesbian who was really into aliens.
0: Excellent. And uh, and Wes, refresh my memory. How was, how did your Shepard, uh, how was it set up and how did they behave this time around?
2: Uh, I started with Liara, told myself in the second game I was uh, going to be unfaithful and then couldn't bring myself to do it and stuck with Liara through all three games. That's kind of the theme of my Shepard is I want to be the worst possible, but I just can't do it.
0: I, I actually was almost the worst possible shepherd this time around. And and we will get into the specifics of that once we talk about what happens on Tuchanka, but, uh, Um, On on Mars, uh, you run into a bunch of Cerberus forces. Uh, uh, It it looks like that Cerberus is taking its um, pro-humanity stance to the extreme, and uh, now their plan is to get as much Prothean and Reaper technology as possible and use that to augment the human race instead of just make them the dominant species. And you even find some uh, Cerberus corpses that are that have been clearly enhanced by reaper technology they they almost look like halfway to being husks so uh and and uh you fight an android or chase down an android at the end of the mars mission who uh it's cutting ahead a little bit a few missions later um is appropriated by ed your ai companion that's on the normandy and ed joins your party as the uh as the official third member and i i double checked this if you are extremely mean and, um, neither Garris, Tally, Ashley, Caden, uh, if none of them survive and you decline to recruit the optional recruit in Mass Effect 3, your final party can be just Shepard, Liara, uh, James and Edie. So it's, you, you can roll with a pretty light crew, uh, by the end if you make some poor decisions. But I think all of us did most of what we could do in the first two games, so we were all rolling with a crew of six or seven by the end. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I think everyone survived mine. Well, except for Shepard. Mine didn't. We'll go. We'll go uh, into that uh, soon. But uh, uh, John, Owen, Wes, what were our thoughts on this action-packed roller coaster beginning to Mass Effect Three before you get more freedom to travel around your ship?
2: I think this is the strongest opening of the series, if I'm being honest, because it goes so quickly from like West Wing walk and talk to not just an action sequence, but an action sequence delivering on what's been promised since the beginning of the game, like the, the absolute horror story of the Reapers coming down to Earth. And the whole thing feels so much more kinetic because they very quickly dip you into the new aspects of Mass Effect 3, like being able to vault over ledges and and climb things and just the verticality and and the movement that feels a lot more engaging. It all adds up to like this really pulse-pounding, action-filled, like, oh man, this whole thing feels somewhat uneasy to me and things are exploding and falling down all around me. Um, it really feels like a proper action set piece. Yeah, it's a great action set piece.
1: And I mean, the uh, how hard I mean, I know they were all dead, but how hard must have been for Shepard not to just be shouting, I told you so at the corpses uh, of, of the tribunal that was organized against her.
0: Yeah, and it, 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 it's uh, almost in a slightly higher stakes version of what of uh, what the Citadel has been uh, uh, doubting you for this whole time like I, I just wanted to scream at every bureaucrat in this entire game other than Anderson and Hackett uh, and in a way this is whole uh, shepherds I told you so moment and uh, there were some interesting things here
1: I I feel like the kid at the beginning would work it works well for a character like mine because like my shepherd is you know space paladin um, I, I totally buy that survivor's guilt not being able to rescue the kid. I, I, I buy that 100%. For someone like your version of Shepard Solosi, I don't feel like the kid would quite be the same motivating factor.
0: I, um, I was mostly just snarling at the kid to get out of the way and get to safety. So like, I'm I just... Yeah, but then the kid the,
1: follows you like the rest of the game, figuratively speaking, like the ghost of the child, um, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, uh, it isn't quite... I, I think uh, Mass Effect 3 sets up uh, Shepard to be a, a, a savior of the galaxy no matter how you set up him or her through the entirety of the story so if, if you were a true renegade border, bordering on evil up until this point it, it might not feel the same but you can react curtly or rudely with renegade dialogue choices often enough that I I, I didn't feel like it was totally betraying my Shepard's character no. but um. Uh, following what and and to, um piggyback on what Wes was saying uh this is an extremely action packed opening and the the gameplay changes like the uh l- like like the additional mobility really does uh you know ma- make this uh, ga- um game tr- like take another step down the uh continuum of action rpg because uh, like the mass effect game uh game- series gameplay has been more and more leaning towards uh, gunplay heavy, uh, and uh, uh like as it goes on, it's like so, like the cover, the cover shooting is better in Mass Effect Three than it was in Two, but it also gives you more powers and more customization options in Mass Effect Two. Like Mass Effect Three, like gives you not as much uh, customization freedom as mass effect one, but better, but more than two and better improved shooting than two. And, uh, this is by uh, where this doesn't happen until later on, but you have by far more weapon and armor options than you did in mass effect two in the, in this game, there are dozens and dozens of armor pieces and gun loadout. So it it has like the loadout system of mass effect two that makes the guns behave more uniquely than they do in mass effect one but such a high number of weapons and armor that it's, it harkens back to the absolutely drowning in loot portion of Mass Effect one. Like this is, I, I think Mass Effect three takes the best of both worlds of the gameplay and customization op- options from Mass Effect one and two and, uh, and, and ma- makes a, a game with a lot of really fun action and really fun tinkering in it. And mm-hmm. I mentioned that, uh that I think the most uh, party members you can have in Mass Effect three is seven, not counting shepherd, uh, but it's a really good seven. Um, uh, we, we can talk about what we uh, like and don't like about these after we've sort of talked about more people uh, joining your party. But I, I think that um, I, if you combine the the casts of Mass Effect effects 2 and 3, then I think you really have an all-time great party because the, the new additions in Mass Effect 3, I think, are far more good than bad. I mean, you kind of
1: do combine it because a lot of the characters mm-hmm. that are available in Mass Effect 3 temporarily are uh you know they they were characters in mass effect uh, 2 you still get like big big plot lines involving characters like jack or uh, or grunt like these characters are still there
0: yes and i do want to get to that but uh again let's move a little bit further in the story we're we're going fast here um after you finally reconnect the citadel and they're uh, more supportive and believing of the of the reaper threat um you, you go to you go to Menai, which is a moon outside Palavin, the Turian homeworld. There you do some missions on Menai, you fight some more Reapers, you're introduced to more Reaper types. Now it's very, very clear that the Reapers are harvesting more species than just humans, and you see uh you see the Reaper Marauders, which are definitely Turians that have been transformed, uh Reaper brutes that are uh transformed Krogans, and uh, I believe the Reaper cannibals are Batarians, I think. Um, so like you're, you see, you're introduced to a lot of Reaper enemies early on. And, uh, while in Mass Effect two, you fight Reapers as well as collectors, as well as three or four kinds of mercenaries, as well as geth, uh, and, and a lot of, um, a, a lot of synthetic drones, um, they scale it back a little bit in Mass Effect three, the huge majority of the enemies you fight are either Reapers or Cerberus, um, but with, with some occasional geth and a few part par- uh, portions of the game but it's a lot of synthetic reapers and a lot of uh organic um cerberus troopers um but but the enemy variety and the potential for strategy and the more skills and abilities that each character has i think makes this the best playing mass effect game full stop uh but but after you visit the citadel for the first time uh you make it clear that to combat the reaper threat you need to recruit as many allies as you can, and build up as many war assets as you can. It was called Galactic Readiness back on the uh, 2012 version of Mass Effect 3, but they basically gamify and numberify all of the activity that you do in this game. Whether it's whether it's convincing a banker to invest in Citadel banks instead of taking his money off-world, or or completing a major plot point, all of your decisions uh, will be reflected in a war asset stat. And you're trying to get that number as high as possible for better outcomes when you reach the end game. Um so and 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 also by the and uh, also after that first visit to the citadels when you have a lot of freedom and can start traveling around the galaxy uh before you're forced to go to, to Menai Um and Palavin. So uh what do we think of War Assets slash galactic readiness and uh and how did you interpret it? I'm a big fan
1: because I was one of the people who actually really did enjoy Uh, planetary exploration uh, in Mass Effect 1 and in 2, those, you know, very, very different um, with probes and things like that. But I liked that they took those systems, refined them, and then they put this over top of it um, to give it a lot more weight. So it felt like these actions that you were taking when you were exploring these worlds and exploring solar systems uh, genuinely contributed to the war effort uh, where you find, like, lost units and things like that and just, like, random groups and technology That was really really cool, uh, and gave me a reason to keep doing that stuff.
0: And and the writing surrounding it is fun too. Like if you uh, if you're planet scanning, and you find a uh, a wayward um, a wayward battleship or something, that updates in the codex, and you'll get say thirty points of of uh, of war assets, but also can read about the battleship that you uh, that you rescued or salvaged, and Mm -hmm. all of that. So you get a gameplay reward and a narrative reward for uh, exploring and doing optional content. And that's that's practically an ideal.
2: It really makes it feel more like there's this long-term impact of everything that you do, because a lot of times, you know, the choices that you make in-game will affect how good that war asset is. And in some cases, even whether or not that asset gets taken away from you later when, say you bring in a fake, uh, Rachni queen and everything goes oh, yeah.
0: wrong. Okay. Now it's a good time to address how mass effect three does a lot of its side content, which uh, we alluded to a little bit earlier. Um, I'm going to use that Rachni queen as an example, Wes, uh, one early optional side quest you can do is I forget the name of the planet, but, uh, you, you find you, uh, you're investigating a Rachni sighting and it's, um, I, I think it's after you go to Tuchanka for the first time, but we we'll, we can, uh, uh, we we can get to that in a second, but uh, you go to a um, y- you go to a planet where a Krogan battalion has gone missing following a Rachni sighting, and uh, it's basically a planet uh, swarming with Rachni. And uh, but um, the people there investigating it are a crew of Krogan led by Grunt from Mass Effect Two. And if uh, Grunt does not survive the events of Mass Effect Two, then it's a different sort of filler NPC Krogan. That, uh, that's there instead of Grunt. But uh, you, you so your team goes through, you fight a bunch of Reaper-enhanced Rachni that are real scary-looking, um, and at the end, you meet a Rachni Queen. If you saved the Rachni Queen in Mass Effect 1, it's the same one that you rescued from back then. If you didn't do that, then the Rachni Queen here is a Reaper construct of a Rachni Queen from, from data that the Reapers harvested at one point or another. And uh, the long-term impact of this is you can choose to eradicate this rachni queen a second time if you're like me and killed the rachni queen in mass effect one <laughs> or uh, or for the first time if you saved that queen or you can choose to recruit them into your army and uh and regardless you have to fight a whole bunch of rachni uh it the, the the queen that's there has is definitely suffering and is and begs for your help again which you know she also she also did in mass effect one but there's a lot of ways this can go uh if if you choose to save the Rachni queen but it's the same queen that you saved in mass effect 1 then you get a whole bunch of Rachni war assets i think 100 uh if you, and uh, but if you uh if you save the Rachni queen this time but you killed the Rachni queen in mass effect 1 then this is an, an imperfect reaper Rachni queen and uh you still get the 100 Rachni war assets uh, or, or, I think you get fewer you get fewer Ragnarok war assets, but they also attack some of their human handlers. So the Alliance Third Fleet gets like a minus fifty to your war assets, and then uh, on top of that, if Grunt survived uh, Mass Effect Two. And you choose to and you choose to save the queen, then a lot of the Krogan battalion there dies. But but Grunt but uh, Grunt can survive if he was loyal at the end of Mass Effect Two. So he's a bonus plus twenty five war assets. And if, but if you choose to save the Krogan to um, kill off all of the Rachni. Um, and and save the Krogan Battalion. Then you get no Rachni war assets. You get uh, something like 50 or 75 Krogan war assets, and, and Grunt will survive if he was loyal at the end of Mass Effect 2. So uh, the way to get the most points, I think, if you ignore... Role playing is to save the Rachni in Nemi in Mass Effect One, save her again in Mass Effect Three, and make sure Grunt was alive and had you and completed his loyalty mission at the end of Mass Effect Two. That gives you some Krogan, a ton of Rachni, and a plus twenty five from Grunt. But you can have way less than that, depending, or or just different versions of that, depending on those choices you made. And this is a long ramble I've been on for two and a half or three minutes, and I apologize, but this is just. One meaningful chunk of story side content that you get and you get a version of this for I think every single major character in Mass Effect one and two, except for Morinth, which is crazy like these are really well written um uh, mostly optional chunks of uh of of gameplay or it, hugely impactful side quests that give you gameplay rewards and are cool story sequences and if uh the character that you're dealing with survived the events of mass effect 2 you get story closure on them and they'd probably join you at the end of their uh of of the of the of the story too as a war asset it is awesome i was thrilled every time I did one and got to interact with my uh, with my team again. Um so uh opening this up to the floor here, uh I, I'm I'm gonna assume that we all like these because this is this is huh. does that this does that uh you know Legend of Heroes uh Marvel Cinematic Universe thing of of rewarding longtime players for their for their time and attention. But uh did you have a favorite one of these um, uh like sort of uh side quests that involved a character from earlier in the series
1: well first off i just appreciate the fact can you imagine the number of flow charts that must have been in bioware just like trying to map out exactly like the the uh various paths you could take like based on super early decisions that you make in mass effect one having massive payoffs in mass effect three just to keep track of them all
0: I'm, i'm thinking a full office auditorium that is wall to wall whiteboards, just whiteboards everywhere that are that, that are more blue and red than white from just the m- amount of marker content of flowcharts on them.
1: See, I'm I'd like that idea, but I feel like it'd probably be more like the uh, the basement mailroom in that episode of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah,
0: yeah the the, the 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 Pepe Silvia episode where I'm pretty sure is rooted in in, uh, in Charlie's inability to read and him seeing the word Pennsylvania over and over on the mail. But uh, yeah, please continue. Yeah, let me see. Uh, I want to think about this for a minute, actually. Uh, Wes, do you have a favorite side quest in Mass Effect 3 that, that taps into something from Mass Effect 1 or 2?
2: So I'm, I'm going to hijack this a little bit. I'm going to oh, go wildcard on you. Because my favorite is the that uh, scene with Arachnid and Grunt. That is one of my favorite ways of pulling you know content from the very first game forward and making it meaningful in the third game. That's absolutely amazing. Um. But I do need. To, I think this is a good time to bring up one of the changes from the original version in how Galactic Readiness works, because all of these side quests that you have that get you war assets are way more important in the Legendary Edition, because uh, a good quarter of your war assets in the original game were tied into the multiplayer of that game. That's uh, right.
0: Which... Uh, uh, the, the, basically, the single player war assets, uh, which was called Galactic Readiness in the original version is capped at 50%. So they all yes. give you uh, like, uh, and uh, but the other 50% of your galactic readiness has to be f- from playing the Mass Effect three multiplayer or from playing one of the two Mass Effect mobile phone games,
2: which is absolutely wild. I, 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 I loved that multiplayer. It was this kind of squad based, mission structure where you could unlock more characters and more powers and everything as you played that I thought was an absolute blast. I understand why they decided not to bring that forward into the Legendary Edition. But that meant that the first time I played this game on Xbox 360, I spent an inordinate amount of, inordinate amount of time in that multiplayer section getting my galactic readiness up. Um, and and it's interesting because that's one of the only ways that you can go and like play as other races and whatnot. You can unlock um, Asari and... Uh, Batarians, yeah you can, uh, yeah, you, can unlo- you can
0: unlock like solarian engineer versus alliance engineer and they would ha- they would have slightly different weapon or power loadouts and so, and, and unlocking all the different characters and finding the best combinations was pretty fun it was and it was a co-op horde mode and not a straight up pvp mode um i i think that the uh mini game that you get in the citadel dlc where you get to go into armax arena and um and and fight hordes of uh of uh of of either geth collectors reapers or service uh like is sort of a like a single player version of the old mass effect 3 multiplayer yeah um but it it's uh their choice to remove it was was probably time saving because just like putting up this infrastructure for a for a bunch of new multiplayer would have been a lot of work i'm sure um but also uh G- Ganks, the legendary edition is as all the dlc but no but they removed the multiplayer system and retuned war assets to reflect that but uh d- d- do you miss it wes i i know most people won't and i might be blasphemous but i kind of do
2: i absolutely love that multiplayer mode There was such a cool sense of progression and just jumping online with a bunch of randos and like having a common goal to work toward is something that always appeals to me um so that multiplayer mode was a blast, as far as I was concerned.
0: <laughs> no, it, it it was good multiplayer, and, and I only did it for a little while to get my galactic readiness up, but I did enjoy it when I played of it. But the problem is, I mean, there the player base isn't gonna be isn't gonna be there this time around. Because I mean, it's a remake that's confined to Mass Effect 3. Not everyone that gets the remake is gonna play that all the way through to the end, although, although many definitely will. Yeah. Um and uh I I mean I mean it, it takes a lot of effort to have a a thriving multiplayer scene that lasts a while. And mass effect three was the hottest thing going in 2012 when it dropped. So I I, like, I I understand why they wanted to get a good quality remake out and not include the multiplayer. Yeah, absolutely. But but I mean, but it was pretty good multiplayer, so I I don't want to disrespect it. Yeah, it, it was fun. I understand why they had to and did ditch
2: it. And honestly, it does make your choices feel even more impactful because I found this time around it was entirely possible to not get enough war assets if you weren't careful. If you made too many bad decisions, it's entirely possible to be locked away from the best endings.
0: I I made a few bad decisions, but I had a disgusting amount of war assets by the end. I really wrung out all the content I could get out of Mass Effect 3. My final number was around 8,030, like like between 8,000 and 8,050 around there. Uh and uh and I definitely I definitely could uh, have done better because I because I had a couple characters die in between um, Mass Effect One and Three, but we will get to that later. Uh, uh um, Jono, uh, did you do you remember a side quest that you found particularly memorable? It doesn't it doesn't have to be from early on?
1: I mean, it wasn't a side quest, but I mean, Rex is one of my favorite characters in the game. I really really like him. I really would be upset if he wasn't there. the The way that the games diverge in uh, when you go to um, When you go to... uh, To Chanka. Yeah, uh, and then his... I think his brother is in charge instead of him if he's dead, and his brother is, shall we say, less enthused about humanity.
0: Yeah, Um, um, uh, Rex's broodmate Reeve is who I had there instead of Rex because I made the regrettable decision to to kill uh, Rex on Vermeer in Mass Effect 1. And uh, Reeve is... Is, uh, he's anti-human, anti-Turian, anti-Salarian. But after you uh, meet up with the Turians on Palavin and Garrus joins your party if he survived the events of Mass Effect 2, your next mission is to broker peace between the Turians and the Krogan so that Krogans will join your effort to stop the Reapers. And... Uh, the, and in doing this, you you promise Rex or Reeve to cure the Genophage, and then depending on whether you saved Malin's research data in Morden's side quest in uh in Mass Effect 2 or not, that that will factor in. Uh, if you did, then there's a female Krogan uh, that uh, that's codenamed Eve that will that will survive the events of Tuchanka and and uh, and and give you a bunch of extra Krogan war assets, uh, but. Uh, yeah, but but the what happens on Tuchanka is not only paying off one of the original conflicts of Mass Effect 1 but uh is is the first sort of meaningful story breakpoint and and uh, of of the game um uh uh John let's talk about Tuchanka a little bit uh, so so you sure. did have you did have Rex surviving I did. so so Rex insisted, that, uh, and Rex respects you, and and I and will join you in the fight against the Reapers. But you have to make good on your promise to cure the Genophage. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have a problem
1: with that as long as he's in charge. I feel like if Rex was dead or his brother was in charge, I might have taken the deal uh, offered to me by the uh Council. Salarian, yeah, yeah. Um, where she's like, if you if you deliberately. Uh, If you deliberately uh, sabotage the cure, I can, you know, I can give you more resources, Um, but they have a good leader and they have a good future ahead of them and they got screwed. Uh, They really did. I have no problem at all with trying to save them.
0: I have a lot to say about this because I I wanted to see how the other in- outcome went. Um, ten years ago when I played Mass Effect two, I I did every step I could to cure the Genophage, and it went and it went pretty well, about as you know as well as it could have. But I wanted to try the opposite path this time around for Mass Effect three, which is why I let uh I I killed Rex on Vermeyer in mm. Mass Effect one uh, it, uh on purpose, but uh it, basically on Tuchanka, you're um. uh uh, either rex or reeve insists you cure the genophage you go to Sirkesh, which is the salarian homeworld um yeah you go to the homeworlds of the turians salarians asari and uh oh who else uh and and uh oh yeah and the and the quarians in mass effect 3 which are only talked about in the previous game so that, that that's exciting um but uh you go to Sirkesh if uh if morden survived the uh, the events of mass effect 2 then he's the ge- the geneticist that you have that uh is is getting you eve and the possible cure for the genophage so uh and th- there's a there's a cerberus attack on surkash that you have to fight through then back onto chanka there's a reaper attack and you have to like trick the queen of the thresher maw sandworms or or not trick her direct her into attacking the <laughs> reaper uh to to defeat the reaper there and then um and then have uh and then get to a a sort of a weather beacon station to spread the genophage cure through the atmosphere so it'll uh, uh, go through all of tachanka and um, and cure the 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 next generation of Krogan of the genophage but the way to cure the genophage and get the you and get the most out of the uh, out of your war assets here is to have um rex as the leader of the krogan because he's just a smarter and a better leader than reeve you have to save malan's data in mass effect 2 morden has to survive mass effect 2 and then uh and then when the salarian counselor tries to basically tells you secretly that they'll uh if you if you fake curing the genophage or sabotage the genophage then they'll give you more salarian troops for the reapers you have to re- refuse that offer and and basically go into the weather beacon inter- intending to cure it. But if that if everything goes right, then Morden, in one of the most devastating moments of the whole series, uh, goes up the elevator, like programs in the Jennifer Age cure, delivers it properly, but then dies with a smile on his face as the beacon is destroyed after re- releasing the cure. Saving if
1: you get a certain cutscene in uh, Mass Effect Two.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's. It's heartbreaking. I love Morden. He is one of my favorite characters in the entire series. The fast-talking, uh, uh pragmatic to a fault, uh Salarian scientist who is a, a also a little bit of a badass cuz he's not above shooting a fool if they're if they're <laughs> attacking his clinic in Mass Effect 2. But and he was one of the architects of the Genophage um 20 years earlier, but this time he's had a change of heart and thinks that uh that the that the Krogan deserve a chance to thrive as a member of the galactic community, and um, because I like the Quarian, I'm sorry, I, because I like the Krogan, and I like Morden, um, I was a little sad with the choices I made this time around. Because if you do everything the opposite of what I just said, if Reeve is in charge of the Krogans, and you destroy Malen's research, data in Mass Effect Two, you can then you can talk. If, you, if your renegade score is very high, you can talk Morden out of faking the Genophage cure. So Morden doesn't die. He sends up an empty elevator into the at, into the top of the tower. So people still believe someone went into the top of the tower to cure it, and uh, and and Morden has to has to go into hiding to uh, so that no one be- so that everyone believes that he died on that tower. But you will get uh, fewer Krogan uh, troops and war assets if you make this choice but more solarian war assets and also morden will give you a cool plus 25 uh war assets because he's sent to work on on the alliance crucible project which is the 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 plans that you found on mars to try and stop the reapers Hmm. Uh, now that i know how both paths go um uh and and, oh but also if, if rex if you try to sabotage the genophage and rex is in charge he sees through your deception and attacks you and you have to shoot him and kill him but uh, Reeve does not see through the Deception and is only excited to be a new Krogan warlord. So uh, if you kill Rex and sabotage the, the Genophage, you get a lot of Salarian war assets. But if Rex is the leader and Morden dies and the Genophage is cured, you get a ton of Krogan war assets. And also Eve survives if you cure the Genophage and she passes away due to her health, her poor health if uh, you destroyed Malin's data and, and sabotage the Genophage. So there's a, lo- a lot of different ways that this can go. And um, maybe it's just my bleeding heart uh, paragon in me, but I think that curing the genophage is ultimately more satisfying. And uh, Wes, you've been a little quiet. Um, you definitely know how both sides of this story go. Um, how did it go for you this time? And and what do you think is the more appealing path?
2: I I couldn't stop myself from curing the genophage. This is this is kind of their redemption arc. It's almost like that child that keeps replaying. And good old Borpo Shepherd's mind is actually changing his mind a little bit as he goes. It's he's he's kind of living down that guilt and making slightly better decisions here, um, because it is more satisfying. I mean, it's a, it's a heroic death for Morton. A death is still sad, but is it any sadder than him having to just live in hiding for the rest of his life, uh, kind of live this half life? Uh, he, I mean, he
1: does get a heroic, if futile, death uh, if you uh, if you shoot him. Yeah. Where he does his best, but I mean, you'd... It's better to die for something in my mind,
2: so I can't can't resist.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of the choices in this game... This is my only real problem with uh, some of the choices in Mass Effect. To get the most satisfying resolutions uh, to the stories, to the character arcs, to things like that, if you're playing as a renegade, you still have to make Paragon choices in certain places. You have to make the right choices. You have to be a good person in order to get many of the more uh the better endings to these stories in my opinion like i suppose that if i was a massive nihilist shooting morden and watching him desperately try to get to the elevator and climb up and rescue the uh to cure the genophage but then failing and dying in an explosion would give me some kind of a shot of adrenaline but like it doesn't that's just horrific to
0: me curing the genophage or not curing the genophage isn't really paragon or renegade it's more just it's it is it, it's more neutral and you can use paragon persu- persuasion and renegade intimidation to achieve either of those ends but they really do communicate that uh um that curing the genophage is good and sabotaging it is bad in a, in a way that i i was specifically role playing but this also made me realize deep down in my heart of hearts i am not a renegade um i i found this playthrough Interesting in some ways, but a little dissatisfying because because I made the the Renegade choice 90% of the time. I, I did some Paragon interrupts here and there because sometimes I was sure it was going to give me more points. Sometimes I just it just felt like I, what I wanted to do. Uh, but I didn't like sabotaging the Genophage, even though Morden survives. And I didn't like just being super rude to Liara and Tally all the time. <laughs> because Liara and Tali are both just just very very good natured characters. And even though Liara is considerably more hardened in mass effect three, than she is in mass effect one going renegade makes both of them act somewhat coldly towards you. And I didn't like that. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be nice to my, to, to, to to my space lady crew. And (laughs) I feel like in a lot of cases, this is
1: the difference between this, this is just, this might just be for me, but I think part of the difference between uh, like a television show or a movie and a video game is that, in those things, we we sometimes get a charge out of watching people make hard choices or watch people make the wrong choices. That explains Breaking Bad, that kind of thing. But when you're playing as the main character uh, and you have you are trying to make those choices, I feel like it gives you a completely different feeling. Um, like to try to 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 be a jerk to these characters that are that are your friends and who you gener- genuinely like. Um, I feel like that is more difficult to for me than to watch someone be a jerk, if that makes sense. You can't yell at the screen, no, Shepard, don't
0: do that, because you made Shepard do that. Yeah, exactly. Why are you doing that? No, don't put the mouse button lower. No! and, and <laughs> Well, the thing is, I I mean, I usually tend towards doing a good playthrough, or a, a good guy playthrough, rather than a bad guy playthrough, on games with karma systems like this, because that, that's more in my nature, and I think most of the time better fits the situation. But I've done bad guy playthroughs before of games like like I think one of my favorite bad guy story routes is in uh infamous 2 uh, for the ps three um, the the scene at the end of that game if you make a lot of evil choices is just absolutely devastating but in a, in a in a beautiful way um i I just i i i the thing is I feel so close to these characters that I want to treat give them their their best selves and and treat them well so i uh I, I, uh we are skipping ahead a little bit but I, I really was a little upset that i um that i didn't have rex around late in the game because i killed mm. him in mass effect 1 or that i didn't do uh any of samara's stuff because i chose morinth over samara in mass effect 2 and i and, uh, and a lot of um renegade uh, options had me very cold or rude towards I, I especially noticed it for liara and Tali, but that's also true for uh for basically your entire team if you go full renegade like i i, I <laughs> Playing through this Mass Effect 3 in this way, maybe even more so in 3 than in 2, really made me want to replay the the entire trilogy again and make different choices. (laughs) Because I just, I I, I don't know, I I just think that um, this game is the most satisfying if as many people survive as possible and you have the the, the deepest crew possible uh, towards the end and like 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 the, we 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 went pretty deep into gr- the grunt and ragni scenario um the uh there is a scene on a in a monastery of Ardart Yakshi that uh is a lot different if Samara is on your is uh, on your team or not and you get you basically get better outcomes if uh Samara is with you but if she's dead like she was for me uh you basically just see two asari in love suffering and and one of them committing suicide uh that that also is the scene that teaches you that um the reaper banshee monsters are made from asari Arda dot yakshi and and banshees might be the most dangerous regular enemy in this game they they uh-huh. they have biotics they teleport they have one or two layers of barriers and armor to deal with they are a pain and fortunately i had uh I had energy drain and sniper rifles to take care of them a, a lot, but uh, they also have a terrifying screech that I cannot get out of my brain. <laughs> yes, they they have the most haunting audio of any Reaper enemy, and that includes the Reaper uh, big ships themselves. It's 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 a little it's a little frightening.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I I don't know. I can't help but feel that drama and compelling scenarios come out of character relationships. And I feel like if you are going for an evil playthrough or a heavy, heavy renegade playthrough, your relationships are going to be cut short because you're not going to be able to deepen them because you're, you know, a a jerk. Um, and because of that, a lot of the stories are not going to hit as hard as they probably should or be as interesting as they possibly should because you just don't know these characters, like the stand-in characters who are there for Rex. Uh, for example, or Morden, they just you, there's no emotional resonance there. There's nothing. They're just kind of stand-ins because they're the characters who they are supposed to be are dead. Um,
0: well, you, I, you you do get to know Reeve in Mass Effect two and three. If Rex dies in Mass Effect one, but he's he's definitely just a short-sighted jerk and not nearly the deep character yeah, but, that that Rex is. But yeah, but you understand it,
1: my point, yeah, which is yeah. like these stories really do hit hard because by the third game, you have survived so many. Uh, trials and tribulations with these people and these characters that it 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 the storylines uh the impact that you feel on an individual level for each of them uh is is very strong like the whole thing with tally landing on the home world and things like that like if that for me uh is very very it, how can i it's difficult to imagine how that plays out in an interesting way of tally's dead
0: yeah, and well, well, to be fair, I did make a lot of renegade choices, even on the uh, the, the Rannoch section of the story. And you know, we can go there anyway right now because that is the next part of the story. Um, uh, after, well, let, let's uh, let me uh, give me a minute to go through the story a little bit. After you resolve the Genophage, you have a bunch of Cro- a bunch of Turian, Krogan, and Solarian war assets, but exactly how many of each depends on your decisions, of course. And that opens the sort of Act Two of this uh, three-act play, or uh three act play plus a finale, where uh, you have a mission on the Citadel, where Counselor Udina tries to do a, a give away the Citadel to Cerberus. So there's a mission there where you have to fight a bunch of Cerberus troops, and then depending on if they survived or not, um, you're either saved by Thane if he survives Mass Effect Two, or Kirahe if uh, Thane is dead, but Kirahe survived Mass Effect One, or if neither of them survived, uh, um, Ashley or Caden, uh, who is there as Udina's bodyguard, will sacrifice themselves. Uh, to to stop Udina from giving from uh, from allowing the Cerberus uh, coup to finish, or if Thane or Kirahe stops the assassin, um, and uh, and Ashley or Caden, if they don't trust you, then they might try to attack you, and you have to shoot Ashley. I'm going to just say Ashley because it was Ashley for all three of us. So so uh, in the events of the Cerberus takeover of the Citadel right after the Duchanka missions, uh, it can be you shooting Ashley. It could be Ashley um, say, uh, jo- eventually joining you and, and seeing the error of her ways. Uh, either Kirahe, Thane, or no one can say, can uh, can provide an assist. It was Thane for me because Thane was uh, loyal and survived at the ends of Mass Effect 2. Um, but, but what happened with me unusually uh, is I, 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 to to basically get this to happen in a positive way, you have to be nice to Ashley. You have to visit her on the Citadel when she's at the hospital recovering from her injury on Mars. Uh, You have to, um, if you romanced her in mass effect one, I think you have to, you basically have to not cheat on her, you know, because if you, if you do cheat on her in mass effect two or three, that that's, you know, negative points in your favor. Um, you, you have to respond to her questions positively when you do talk to her and, uh, and perform either a very high paragon check or a high in- intimidation check when there's the sort of, uh, standoff, uh, on the Citadel, which, which can end in you shooting Udina or Ashley shooting Udina, or, uh, uh, uh maybe there's another outcome I, that I didn't encounter, but um, Ashley is awful. If, if you're bad to Ashley and she decides to side with Cerberus, um, you can shoot her, and in her dying breath, she will even say, "I hope the Reapers send you to hell," which is about the worst thing I can think of in this scenario. But uh, or, or or she can like if if she's very trusting of you, she'll save you and she'll join your party afterwards, becoming the um, your your uh, I guess sixth or seventh party member, uh, de- depending on the order of things, or. Where I landed was I, uh, um, I I I did gain her trust. She stopped Udina. Uh, she's definitely on my side. But then I was given a Paragon only option to convince her to join me because I was I was nice to her, but not nice enough in the lead up to this event. <laughs> so she did not join my party. I didn't have the uh, I, I didn't. She didn't trust me enough because she still believed I was maybe siding with Cerberus or uh not supportive enough so what happened was she ends up not joining my party but she does rejoin the alliance and gives me plus 25 points of war assets if uh if you can't Paragon persuade Ashley to join you at the end but uh so that's not the worst outcome because I mean I still had if I wanted an assault rifle user I still had um Garrus or James but uh Yeah, just I I I weirdly found the middle ground for having Ash to Ashley's support at the Citadel stage. What what do you think of how this went for you?
1: I mean, Adina's betrayal is something that I actually had problems with because they really do leave it open ended whether or not uh, he was being he was indoctrinated or not. We don't know whether or not that's true. I can't help but feel he is because although the character has been portrayed as a massive uh jerk for all three games at no point did i ever feel like he was a traitor i feel like he was just a well a dick um but like a loyal one so the fact that he turned around and betrayed uh betrayed the uh, citadel for uh cerberus and technically you know in that particular case the reapers as well um I feel like you would have to be indoctrinated. And the fact that they left that open-ended, just, I don't know there's something about it that made me go, eh. I feel like that character was more complex than the choice that he made. Um, but that just might be where I'm coming at it from. I thought it was an interesting, interesting way. Now how, it, how it went down in my particular playthrough is uh, we got to the ship. He, you know, grabbed the hostage and I let, uh, I let Ashley shoot him. Cause I felt like that was better character development uh, for her. Um, and then Ashley joined me because by that point, you know, she trusted me and
0: stuff. So did it go differently for you, Wes?
2: Um, more or less the same, although I didn't let Ashley take it that <laughs> Bo given any of the credit to anyone else. <laughs> no no <laughs> um, but i'm I'm kind of with you on that, Jono, that it's a weird character turn for um for Adina. Uh I like my villains to have um, some kind of moral structure that they're adhering to, even if it's a deplorable moral structure. Um, it always makes it more interesting if you can kind of see how the gears are working with them to me. Um, even if those gears are wildly miscalibrated and they're doing things that, you know, you you would think that no <laughs> no human being would make, but they. I like them when they follow consistently. I mean, one of my favorite heroic, I guess, heroic type characters or even
1: antagonist type characters is a character who is... Personally speaking, just horrible, just like a terrible, terrible person, just a massive dick. But morally speaking, they are upstanding and believe in things and uh, will stand up for what quote unquote is right. Um, And I find that when one of those characters shifts, so their uh, moral beliefs align with their being a massive dick beliefs, it just makes them less interesting agree
0: i i'm not sure what to make of the udina betrayal i think that he always was very pro humanity and that has him aligned with cerberus at least a little bit but uh whether he was indoctrinated or not and um it, like maybe he reached out to cerberus but then in his meeting with cerberus they indoctrinated him with with reaper tech i don't know exactly how it went i i i, I always believed in him being way too pro-humanity which is why i basically accepted him uh Siding with Cerberus and allowing the, this coup to take place, but him being a power-hungry, pro-human jerk, I, I think that's consistent. But it, this is a dramatic turn, giving up the entire Citadel. But anyway, this is mostly just a small plot point to have you fight Cerberus again and see and uh, see what happens to Ashley or Caden. Um, after the events of this, you uh, more side quests open up to you, and the main story goes to Rannoch, the Quarian homeworld. You do some mess- You talk to all the Quarian admirals. Um, there, you have a chance to rescue one. You have a chance to do. Uh, you meet up with Legion again if he survives the events of uh, Mass Effect Two. If, if you didn't recruit Legion in Mass Effect Two and instead gave him to Cerberus uh, Laboratories, you actually fight Legion as an enemy when you raid a Cerberus base later in the game. Um, but, that, but that that didn't happen with any of us. I think I think we all recruited Legion.
1: Legion is too cool not to recu- recruit.
0: Yeah, you uh, you learn a lot about the history of the Quarians and Geth uh, over the course of um, these missions, some some optional, some uh, part of the main story. But the gist of it is, um if Tally and Legion are both are both survive and they're both loyal, and you do the side the Quarian side missions before doing the priority mission on Rannoch, and you uh and, and and uh Tally was um accepted in the Quarian trial in Mass Effect two instead of exiled then that gives you enough, you know, narrative points uh, to possibly um, have a peaceful rev- resolution between the Geth and Quarians. You can convince the Quarians to stand down and stop attacking the deactivated Geth warships. And uh, uh, if you have a very, very high Paragon or or, or Renegade score, and um, if you, uh, in, in Legion's loyalty mission in Mass Effect 2, uh, uh, whether you cho- chose to try to um reprogram the geth or destroy the the rogue geth in that one that will affect the number of geth forces present so you can side with the geth and have a lot of quarians be wiped out side with the quarians and have a lot of geth be wiped out or uh try to broker peace in the middle of the conflict and have most of the quarians and most of the geth survive the conflict and have both of them join the problem is um legion will die no matter what sometimes it ends up with you shooting legion if you totally side with the quarians sometimes it ends with legion uh dying away on his own basically removing all of the ais present in the legion unit so that they can dissipate among the geth and make them and 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 turn them good uh so legion will always die but uh if most of the quarians are wiped out in this conflict whether you whether you went for peace or you went for a pro geth outcome Tali can jump off a cliff and commit suicide if too many Qorians die. But if you totally side with the Qorians and Tali was loyal after Mass Effect 2, or if you broker peace and most of the Qorians are still surviving, then then Tali will not kill herself. But there's but the way these this can end is you can have a lot of Geth, a lot of Qorians, most of both uh, Legion will always die. Tally might commit suicide or she might survive. There's a lot of ways Rannoch could go down. And uh, even though I was renegade basically the whole time, I basically yelled down the Corians to stop shooting and got uh, and managed to get peace with a lot of Geth and Corian units together. Um, how, how did the uh, Rannoch missions go for you guys?
1: Uh, pretty much the same, except without with less shouting. Fair. Um, yeah, I threaded the needle. I got them both together. Again, I feel like that was the most narratively interesting option. Even ignoring good and evil, it's it's just it's interesting to see these two groups putting aside their uh, their generations long animosity to fight against a uh, to fight against the Reapers. That's interesting, and I feel like other choices are less so. I feel like Tally throwing herself off a cliff is super interesting if you're into the most depressing thing I can imagine ever.
0: Yeah, that's real rough. But I think they they even give you more context for the conflict because in those side missions leading up to it, you learn a lot about the Koryans and the Geth, including like... Scenes from the Geth memory banks of the very first uh, Geth rebellions and, and the very first self-actualization by Geth AIs. It's, it's, it's really interesting how they set it all up.
2: I really love those scenes, like seeing how the Geth came to be and kind of demystifying it. It feels right for the third game um, to pull back the curtain completely.
0: Because Geth are probably the most common enemy in Mass Effect 1 and a very common enemy in Mass Effect 2. They've basically been, uh, they, they're basically just faceless enemy machines until you meet legion and then in mass effect three the geth aren't as present as the as the reapers or cerberus but they're uh but it like you said it's fully uh, like like it's fully learning more about the geth and giving you the opportunity to to really sympathize with them but uh, no matter what happens uh legion passes away which is a little unfortunate because i i love my robot friend
1: i do too but it is a it's a good death it's a satisfying death
0: I think that the most satisfying paths to take in Mass Effect 3 are brokering peace between the Quarians and the Geth and curing the Genophage. But in doing so, you see you just get absolutely heartbreaking death scenes from Legion and Morden. Uh but but I but I think it it is serving very very good story uh moments. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There's one character we haven't talked about. Uh Tali does join you permanently if she survives the uh the um, events of Priority ranock. But we talked a little bit uh, about Ashley and Liara and Garrus is back and uh, Tally. There's James Vega, who's a bit of a meathead human. Um, the, the He's a, a soldier who's about to join the same N7 Marines program that Shepard is a veteran of. Uh, he, he's all right, but he's mostly comedy, mostly a replacement for not having a Krogan on your team anymore because <laughs> he's a, he's an assault shotgun Heavy, heavily armored guy, just like just like uh, Rex and Grunt were, um, and uh, we we didn't talk. We mentioned that Edie joins your team at, by taking over an android. Um, Edie's a pretty <laughs> fun uh, party member here. She has a lot of tech skills, so she's kind of like kind of like Tali or Morden or Miranda or a combination of those three um, from uh, from Mass Effect Two. But she also is now that she's a fully unshackled AI, she's interested in learning about love and relationships and she if anything is more uh is once really wants to respond to joker's crush on her (laughs) so joker your human pilot since the mass effect one is uh sort of dating the ai pilot of his own ship which is a weird vibe to say out loud but is also kind of adorable i and i was even though it was definitely a paragon not a renegade choice i was always nudging them toward each other yeah
1: i mean the the way the characters are developed, absolutely, they kind of just belong together. The only person that, uh, the only person that he would be happy with would be his ship.
0: And and also, it's sort of, it's sort of adorable that Edie's the only person that calls him Jeff instead of Joker. But she doesn't start calling him Jeff until Joker saves her on the during the uh, the invasion of the Normandy scene in, uh, in in Mass Effect Two. So like like you, you can see her feelings. Become like taking form even before she like convinces him to dance at the club in the Citadel. It's it's just it's just very sweet how it all plays out. Yeah, it's a really nice relationship that kind of builds up in the background if you're paying attention. the The other uh, relationship in the background that builds up if you're paying attention is if you don't romance Tally or Garrus, and 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 Tally and Garrus are both straight, so only a male can romance Tally, only a female can uh, Shepard can romance Garrus. Uh, but if you romance neither of them, they, and they both survive to the end. And they uh then before the final mission uh you see them uh you see them embracing each other in the uh, in the uh the battery area of the of the ship it's so like that's another background romance that sort of takes form it's, but especially since they they ha- start hanging out more and drink and going out drinking together uh if you're romancing neither of them because i, I think they mentioned this in the codex um the uh Gar- uh, uh and turians are have similar physiology and proteins. So they, they're, they uh, their senses of taste and, uh, and their, di- and their diets and biologies are closer together than other alien species are. So it's, a uh, they, they, they bond over not being able to eat the same food as the humans on the Normandy and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's cute saying that play out. But there's one character we haven't really mentioned yet. The DLC character Javik, who was day one DLC back in 2012. So this is the one DLC of Mass Effect 3 that I had played before this year. But uh, Javik is the last remaining Prothean. You find a basically a sarcophagus on uh, Eden Prime, the location of the very first mission of Mass Effect 1. So you go back to Eden Prime for the first time in five years of development in terms of <laughs> uh, how this happened 10, 15 years ago but um after completing uh fighting off some cerberus and uh and finding the sarcophagus you free Javik and you have a, pro, a Prothean warrior as your final party member or well he can be your your third or fourth party member depending on how uh things shape up in and and when you recruit him but Javik is a He's really interesting. You learn about Prothean culture from him. He has a lot of really fascinating clashes with Liara because he uh, teaches everyone that the Protheans were an imperialist uh, power that enslaved other races. And they weren't just purely enlightened beings beings of uh, reason and science like uh, Liara maybe assumed they were. And, oh, that's uh, funny as hell! Yeah, oh, it's it's great. And he also tells you that the uh, the the Reapers didn't wipe out the Protheans instantly; that it it took centuries. And uh, Jav when when Javik was born, the Reapers had already invade, invaded, so he only knew war his entire life, and only got to see the fall of the Prothean Empire, and not and not its uh, and not its peak. He also mentions that Protheans were very single minded species. So once they were born and were and their role in society was determined, they were you know basically bred. And, uh, and driven to be as strong and powerful and, uh, and able as possible in that role. So because he was born as a soldier, he really only knew being a soldier, which Liara finds disappointing in a way. But uh, for Javik to be a very warlike uh, and and, viol- and violent team member, almost like Zaid or something from Mass Effect 2, but also your window into the Prothean culture from 50,000 years ago, makes him a really interesting party member and it's it's kind of sad that he's relegated to the Zaid Kasumi DLC slot in this game. It blows my
1: mind that he was not part of the original game. It that's that is the most greedy move I could possibly imagine because I I didn't actually know that he was DLC when I started playing Legendary Edition. I just assumed he was there. And the idea that that space on the ship could remain empty and that he's not there is dumb it's dumb it's just a stupid thing i mean some of my favorite moments i love liara but watching liara can just constantly being taken down a peg uh by javik uh explaining his actual culture is one of the funniest things in the game for me it will never not make me laugh when she's like oh okay my entire life has been a lie my all of my work (laughs) everything i've studied has been you know wrong that is really funny to me
0: totally agree Javik's interaction and dialogue is great and it's it's shocking that uh he was DLC and not and not baked in part of the original game
2: and this time around you know with Kasumi once you had her and had done her mission she was kind of just there you could talk to her and have like non-dialogue tree conversations where she'd throw off little one-liners um Javik feels like a fully integrated member of the party you know he feels as fully realized as the rest of the crew um and yes getting that window in the prothean culture and having it be nothing like you've been taught this entire series oh that's satisfying not just for seeing liara's reaction to it but for like feeling my own reaction to it um i like that I myself was fooled, you know?
0: <laughs> Agreed. But you know, now that we've talked about Javik a little bit, uh, let's talk about some of the other DLC. There's three other large pieces of DLC that were um, added to Mass Effect 3, a bunch of smaller stuff like weapon and armor sets that are uh, baked in as part of a uh, legendary edition. But there's a, uh, a, extended side quest, one called Leviathan, which is where you discover the race that created the Reapers uh, ages ago. It turns out that they are enormous um, uh, squid-like or cuttlefish-like uh Uh, beings that you decide to name leviathans and the reason that reapers resemble squids are because the the first reaper which is harbinger from Mass effect 2 was made in the image of these leviathan creatures so you find one of the first leviathans you eventually talk it into fighting against the reapers instead of remaining hidden as they've been for possibly millions of years and uh and and they give you a whole bunch of war assets for completing the leviathan uh, missions even though there isn't really a paragon or renegade decision to be had there uh, something like 400 points it's crazy um and uh and uh, uh i think i thought that was a pretty good interesting storyline there's a lot of moments of drama uh, including when you do an, an underwater walk and a mech that's uh that that you know gave me some some bioshock vibes for a second hmm. uh but but ultimately i like the other two better uh, omega is um uh meeting up with Arya to, Loke to uh to take back the Omega station that's been taken over by Cerberus. It's a hugely uh uh exciting drama there. Uh you team up with Arya and a and a female Turian uh that that runs one of the mercenary gangs in Omega and together you uh you take down a a Cerberus general. It's it's hugely action packed and mostly just uh hanging out with these two very cool side characters and getting into a lot of firefights. It, it was a I don't think Mass Effect 3 is a very hard video game. I think I thought that 2 was considerably uh more difficult overall in terms of just the action and the shooting. But uh Omega has some of the most intense uh shooting segments of the entire uh of the entire game. I think
1: that the ending of Omega is hysterically funny that if you're playing as a woman and you you do everything right, uh, Arya will kiss you. And it'll be a really oh. it'll <laughs> be a really good kiss. If you're a guy, she will kiss you and then she will get a look in her face like uh it's <laughs> really hilarious.
0: That's interesting because, all right, I, I will talk more about this soon. But I, uh, I, 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 I didn't realize that the male kiss and female kiss were different. That that's hilarious. I guess Arya has a type.
1: Yeah, check it out on YouTube when you get a chance. It's really, it's a subtle, it's a really subtle little change in the cutscene, but it's very funny.
0: Um, the last bit of DLC that I think is important to address is Citadel, which is, uh, or which I think the the quest is called Shore Leave. But uh, basically, you're given a huge, beautiful apartment on the Citadel that used to belong to Admiral Anderson. And then uh, from there, you can do a bunch of. uh, You can go into uh, an area called Silver Sun Strip. That's just that's basically just a fun district in the Citadel. Uh, There's a casino, a a game arcade, a battle arena that I mentioned before, and you can uh, um, meet anybody in the game that survived up to this point and had their side quests completed up to this point. Um, So I was able to do uh everyone available other than Rex, Samara, and uh and Ashley, because even though Ashley survived my playthrough, I, I missed her cutscene on the Citadel. So I, I didn't recruit her for the party. Uh but and also uh Morinth cannot be recruited and Morden does not join the party, even though Morden does leave some uh messages on your answering machine. But by uh you basically do this uh long quest that has a casino heist and uh you fight some remnants of Cerberus including a woman named Maya and a clone of yourself. So you get to see the the shepherd that you designed, possibly all the way back in Mass Effect 1, uh, be, the, be the villain in your own story briefly, which is pretty amusing. And uh, and uh, he was a Cerberus clone, or she was a Cerberus clone, intending to replace you by going into the archives and uh, and getting your fingerprints and other details changed. But, uh, but you're able to stop them before they hijack the Normandy and, and fly off into the sunset. And, and And after all that's done, you can have a party at our Anderson's apartment with a lot of hilarious shenanigans able to take place i'm a I'm so sad I didn't have Rex in my party to join for to to join for this party as it were <laughs> but um it's really exciting but uh my favorite part of it is that in Morden's answering machine, he tells a story about when he was younger on on Omega and how he teamed up with a young woman a, a young Asari woman. To take out a mercenary gang leader, and they uh, they had a romantic encounter afterwards. Afterwards, and in the message, he implies that it was indeed Arya to Loke.
1: <laughs> so, it makes me wonder just how <laughs> truthful that story is.
0: Maybe I, I understand, but I think Arya expresses curiosity if uh, about what happened to Morden in the dialogue on in the Omega DLC, and so I think that deep down even though they 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 never could be you know they could never settle down together because they were always doing their own thing but i think deep down Arya always sort of admired morden and thought it was impressive that they managed to hook up and he evaded her attempts to kill him so because i i don't know maybe Salarians aren't quite her type but i i i believe in Arya and morden i i trust morden's version of events here <laughs> <laughs> and but uh, but again it only really works if you pay attention to everything morden and Arya say in their dedicated side quests, including the Omega DLC, and and maybe make some logical leaps in listening to Morden's answering machine in the Citadel DLC.
1: <laughs> I think the Citadel DLC is, I've heard it described as fan service done right, um, where almost everything in it is fan service payoffs. To, if you've played all of the games and you've invested uh, time into the characters and all of the character side quests and everything, you're going to get a lot out of it.
0: It is so good. I thought it was, I was so entertained start to finish. I want every big RPG to have an everyone has fun at a party scene now because it it just gave me everything I wanted. Oh yeah, it was such a great way to literally blow off steam before this big final mission. James Um, Vega's dance animations make the entire DLC worth it. Everyone
1: making fun of Shepard dancing is worth it for me.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, and uh, if, if Garris is not your romantic partner, you can be a wing woman for him at a bar at uh, at the casino, <laughs> uh, and I and you get to see um Miranda try to act normal and, and wear an evening dress at the casino. Would, if, uh, but you have to do the Citadel late in the game for that because Miranda's dedicated scene is on a Horizon near the very end of the game. We haven't even talked about that part of the game in this episode yet, but like like being able to interact in a fun way with every character individually, and then seeing them interact together in a bunch of drunken conversations that sometimes involve dancing, I-, I loved all of it. It was so good.
1: It was great. Now, my only, again, this this is a criticism I have of it, and it, it worked fine for me, uh, which is your clone, Shepard's clone, is a uh, species, just so basically the ideal Cerberus agent. Um, just like my human- Shepard. human-centric uh very just a huge doesn't really care about uh her or his um uh teammates or people that are working under him it's just like everything that uh everything that a paragon shepherd is not and i feel like that contrast might be lost slightly if you play pure renegade jerk shepherd where it's like What's the difference between these two characters? No, a,
0: As a renegade jerk shepherd, I thought it fit fairly well because that just meant that uh, this my clone and I were definitely cut from the same cloth. And instead of like, like, even though they have similar ideals, it was more about the clone being determined to survive and replace you and my shepherd being determined not to be replaced. Like they, they just they immediately clashed because because there could only be one. So like okay. I, I, it it fit I thought it fit just fine but the, part of it was just a mutual, uh, well a mutual desire to eliminate the other. Mm. Wes, what were your favorite parts of the Citadel DLC?
2: All of it. Um, I I absolutely <laughs> adore that DLC. I think it it makes all arguments about the ending of the game being unsatisfying almost moot because this feels like the proper wrap up um, to the characters at least, even if the plot. Um, you know uh isn't what you were looking for uh it also holds true to my one of my biggest beliefs about storytelling that um stakes cannot seem high horror cannot seem horrifying um unless you see lives working as normally and see relatively joyous times uh you get to see it like not only that these people were pulled together by danger but like what kind of lives they could live if things actually worked out for them and it makes it seem all the more important to actually have people survive, to actually solve the problem at hand. Because it's not just like an amorphous end of the world. It's the end of these people and this kind of togetherness and and this kind of unity.
0: I, I just... After I saw the scene of you uh, busting Grunt out of holding for, for going on a drunken rave the night before the party, yeah. I, I immediately <laughs> went onto YouTube and watched it again. I liked it so much. I, I just... There is so much joy and fun in this in the Citadel DLC that I, I it made me want to replay the whole trilogy again so I can see how Rex and Samara behave after it. A- Ashley as well, although I was less interested in her, of course.
1: Ashley hooks up with <laughs> Ashley hooks up with James, which I oh, think is excellent. hysterically funny.
0: Excellent. No, I, you see now I want that again. Like I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally go into Vermeer and Mass Effect one next year, intending to save Ashley again. Uh, no, I'm sorry. No, intending to save Caden this time, but end up saving Ashley again, just so she and James can hook up. I, I fully believe that now.
1: But anyway, Lily- hang on. I th- I just want to mention my favorite scene in the in, in the party. Like, there's tons of different scenes, and I you can only see about you can only see half of them in one playthrough unless you you know do a save because you can either choose to have like a laid back kind of relaxed party, or you can choose to have like a a like a crazy party, um, and there'll be different scenes depending on which one. But my favorite scene is. Uh, trainer and Edie upstairs. Uh, trainer who is uh who is the um comm specialist.
0: Yeah, she she's the uh, the replacement of uh, of Kelly from Mass Effect Two, and she's she's also a lesbian and a romance option for a female shepherd
1: Yeah, um, there's a scene where apparently she before she knew that Edie was sentient would thought that it, would mention that the her voice was super sexy when she was working on the new ship. And Edie is like interrogating her about this upstairs, and uh, she's getting more and more embarrassed. But the best part is, Tally is across from them, sitting on the couch just really uncomfortable poisoning herself with cheese because she is just trying to, like, not be involved in this conversation. L- literally poisoning herself with cheese. She,
0: she definitely likes cheese, but she knows her body can't handle it for because of the quarry and the immune system. So she's just like, while this awkward conversation is happening, is just like, this cheese is so delicious, but I'm going to pay for it very, very soon. I'm going to have to run so many diagnostics after after this. It was... <laughs> how much <laughs> it was, it was cheese is good. too
1: much cheese it's it, that is it, it's, it's my favorite one of my favorite moments in the game is tally poisoning herself with cheese it's amazing
0: <laughs> my favorites are definitely james vega's uh dance animations then the um then then morden's message about possibly hooking up with aria to Loke. and then after that i i think maybe grunt being a bouncer at the door and just yelling at her and just telling groups of people no over and over is, is pretty satisfying um, but but overall, the like the Citadel DLC is very welcome levity after a pretty interesting sort of action packed uh, main segment to the story. But but going back to the main story, um, uh, the, there's another scene on the Citadel where uh, you finally convince the, uh, the the Asari counselor to join you. You go to Thessia, the Asari homeworld, where a mission goes very badly. Uh, Kai Lang, the assassin from the first Citadel attack. Uh, basically, like steals the the Prothean data that's that's key to stopping the Reapers. Um, you fought, you track Kylang back to Horizon where you meet Miranda again. There's a Cerberus facility there that was capturing humans, turning them into Reaper husks, and then experimenting on the husks. It's real dark stuff. Um, Miranda survives the encounter with Kylang the assassin. If you have some certain conversations with her earlier in the game, and it also helps if she was loyal and survived the uh, 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 the events of Mass Effect Two. Um, there's a lot of ways Miranda can die in these missions. Um, and Miranda also confronts her father and sister at the end. Uh, but there's a lot, they can go a lot of different ways depending on, uh, on the events leading up to it, especially if Miranda, uh, is loyal or not. But after that, um, you're basically thrusted into the end game. You do an assault on a Reaper on, excuse me, assault on a Cerberus base. And then immediately after that, um, the, a, uh, a, an attack, well, you, you go to earth to try and liberate earth from the Reaper threat. Um, it, it a lot of intense uh, fighting in all of these. Uh, you learn that Edie was originally the moon AI that you, uh, sh- that you had to shut down in mass effect one um, in the Cerberus base uh, that you get a lot of good commentary from her. And, uh, and, and uh, especially if your team, uh, if you're the teammate you bring along, was on your team in mass effect Two, They have a lot to say about Cerberus it's a really good part of the mission. You finally kill Kai Lang at the end there. Uh, the, the, the jerk assassin that's been, you know, a thorn in your side for most of the game. He, he, uh, Kai Lang basically replaces Shepard as the elusive man's sort of go to super agent. Um, so like there's the implication that in the two years you were away, Kai Lang became the elusive man's new favorite, but, uh, on, on earth, um, there's, uh, and and also that that base is where you fight Legion if you if a Legion was uh was assimilated into Cerberus in Mass Effect Two, but on Earth you fight a Banshee version of more of Morinth if more if Morinth survives the events of Mass Effect Two.
1: I love how it's not even mentioned; it's they're there. That's it.
0: Yeah, no, you you find oh, and I I had Morinth in Mass Effect Two, so you you get emails from her at yeah. your terminal, and uh, and you find more in your uh your Shadow Broker data um, in, in Liara's room, but she doesn't really interact with you directly at all in Mass Effect 3, which is disappointing because, I mean, uh, and, and just makes it, I think it goes to show that uh, even if you are trying to go full Renegade, it's just more satisfying having S- Samara on your team in Mass Effect 2 over Morinth. But uh, again, it m- m- makes me want to replay all of the whole trilogy and make slightly different decisions. But then on Earth, um, you you uh, you battle back a, a Reaper threat and then uh, and finally confront the Elusive Man a final time on the, on the steps of the Citadel after you get to a beacon on Earth that teleports you to the core of the Citadel. And you have to make a lot of Paragon or Renegade choices in a row, but it ends up with you shooting the Elusive Man or even convincing the Elusive Man that he has indeed become indoctrinated and ha- have him shoot himself. And it's sort of the final uh, dialogue challenge of the game. Yes, a
1: fitting end for evil President Bartlett.
0: Yeah uh poor ramon esteves things like i i really i you know mass effect 3 has you fully going back to the alliance like you were in mass effect 1 but i think in mass effect 2 it did fit the narrative um like working with the bad guys even looking back on it because i i thought about this a lot because i like i i thought it was such a weird swing how cerberus was terrorists in mass effect 1 then literally the the good guys in mass effect 2 than then even worse terrorists in Mass Effect Three, but in Mass Effect Two, I think it fits because, like, they were the only group that really believed in you, and they be- and uh, they presented themselves as just trying to find people doing the right thing for humanity and giving them as many resources as possible. But then, but then when the elusive man's vision is twisted badly without Shepard to be a guiding light, uh, they go back to being horrible terrorists again. It's it, like, I, I was a little sad killing the elusive man because I believe that if circumstances were different, they would be on your side in Mass Effect 3. But but just, it was he, he had gone too far astray.
1: Well, again, like, it, it depends on whether or not, it depends on what you're looking for to your narrative. Like, I really like the Paragon ending of the elusive man. I feel like it has a moment of triumph for him uh, rather than getting shot where he, he kills himself. Uh, rather than be used by the reapers that for me is a moment of if not redemption at the very least a glimmer of it
0: i i ended up shooting him because i mean that was just the renegade interrupt choice yeah but uh but i i, I agree if you can force him into that outcome it's a it's a satisfying outcome
2: yeah, it really matches like what he says he is is actually how he acts in that moment um not not wanting his autonomy removed from him forcefully um it's kind of the the choice between what he believes himself to be and what he kind of shows himself to be um, after being indoctrinated.
0: But I I really feel though if um if Shepard was not forced to retire on Earth for two years and Shepard Jacob and Miranda and others had stayed with Cerberus, I think Cerberus could have been a force for good, if. If circumstances were different, but but mm-hmm. for uh, unfortunately, that is definite that is certainly not the case throughout the entirety of Mass Effect Three.
1: I I really disagree.
0: Well, the uh, thing is, I I think I just, I think I just liked the vibe of Mass Effect Two of being like this um this extra government agent um that was that was trying to do the right thing all the time. Like I kind of like the Paragon version of Cerberus in Mass Effect Two. If you if you go the Paragon route most of the way. So that just made me a little bit sad to see them fall so far in Mass Effect 3.
1: But that's the thing. I don't think they fell that far. Like I always interpreted Cerberus in Mass Effect 2 as the elusive man was really trying very hard to only give Shepard a, a, a piece of the picture, like really present in the best light. But I, I truly feel that even if Shepard Miranda and Jacob had stuck with Cerberus at the end of that game and continued working for them, the second that the Reapers showed up, that the Elusive Man would have pushed Cerberus in the same direction that they ended up. I feel like those experiments would have happened because at that point, the Elusive Man and Cerberus on the whole thinks that the, the, ga- the galaxy is done. It's finished. It's, there's, there's no possibility of survival. The only way we're going to do this is if we drop any, any semblance of morality and just be as ruthless and as horrible as the Reapers are. Uh, I feel like they would have reverted to that if given no other option. So I feel like this was the end game to Cerberus, regardless.
0: That's probably true. My only feeling is that I miss the good. I miss the Mass Effect Two version of Cerberus. Mm. <laughs> is uh, is is where my feeling comes from, I guess. There, but uh, but but after you defeat the elusive man, you finally discover what the catalyst is. The catalyst is a a basically a collective AI unconscious. That was residing inside the citadel and is the guiding beacon for summoning the reapers every fifty thousand years. And uh, but reaching it and defeating the, defeating most of the reapers and reaching the catalyst and combining it with the crucible project that you've been building this entire time basically gives Shepard an opportunity to be the first organic being to uh, since the Leviathans to influence the uh, Reaper intelligence. And your three doors to walk through were the three endgame decisions. Um, which were even even more stark uh, before they were adjusted in DLC are red the red door, which is to destroy all um, all sentient AI in the universe, which includes the Reapers, includes the mass relays, and includes uh, all the Geth, and even includes Edie, or to, uh, a control option where uh, Shepard sacrifices himself to replace the Catalyst as the collective conscious control of the reapers and and gains control of the reapers to make them a force for good or a force for rebuilding instead of a force for destruction or the third option synthesis where shepherd also sacrifices themselves but it turns every organic being in uh partial in the universe partially synthetic and every synthetic being in the universe partially organic making them and so instead of being synthetics versus organics it it basically makes all beings related enough that the reapers will view them as no longer something to be harvested. So those those are the choices. Um, destroy, control, or synthesize. And uh, if you don't have enough war assets, you can only have the destroy option or only the destroyer and control option or uh, or all the options with better outcomes and more details revealed at the end if your uh, war assets are above 4,000. And again, and my war assets were around 8,000. So I had um, I had everything I wanted to do, but I think you can still uh, do everything you want as long as it's above 5,000 or maybe 5,500. That That's sort of the minimum to have the maximum number of efficacy.
1: Uh, there is apparently another option where you can walk away and let the Reapers destroy the galaxy. Yes, that is an option. I mean, not what <laughs> I would call a very satisfying ending, and certainly not in Shepard's character, whether or not they're a Paragon or a uh, Renegade, but... You can do it.
0: That's correct. I did fail to mention that, but also it was something that never crossed my mind. I really was just choosing which of those three first doors to to walk through. But now, I, I mean, that's the million dollar question. Uh, which did you choose? Blue. I <laughs>
2: I, I grabbed them blue handles uh, and did control primarily because I had never done it before, and that felt like something something unique to try. Um, where all of a sudden the you know the reapers and and whatnot. They kind of vacate with the the promise that they can be used for um, for good in the future. But for the most part, what we see is just the, the Reapers kind of lifting off from all of the hostile planets all at once. And all of the, uh, the non-Leviathan Reapers just kind of shutting down, more or less. Uh, I chose green
1: because I felt like, in terms of the choices that My Shepherd would make, My Shepherd never would have chosen destroy because, like, very much proven with the uh, trying to... Uh, Fight for peace uh, with uh, the get with uh, Legion. Um, it, I, I don't buy that she would have like sacrificed every inorganic life form. Um, blue, I didn't buy it because I thought that blue sounds like they're trying to trick Shepard into becoming indoctrinated. Like, hey, become part of us. And I, I just, Mike, I don't think my Shepard would have bought it. Whereas synthesis sort of. Let's every everyone lives, everyone wins. Um, yes, there's change forced on the galaxy, but everyone's still alive, and it more importantly is still themselves. Um, it's not like they've lost their individuality, they're still themselves, they just have inorganic components now. Um, I really, really wanted there to be an ending where Shepard literally could have talked the Reapers down and been like, Look, there is peace between AI and uh organics look at what's going on out there we're fighting together against you has that ever happened before in any of the previous cycles um i felt like that choice that you made earlier could have had bigger consequences for the ending um i didn't have a big problem with the endings of this game i just didn't i, I just thought i don't know and i don't feel I, I don't feel like any of them would really really work uh with i, I don't know it I don't have the problem with the endings that a lot of people did, but I, I found it, I found it somewhat unsatisfying. Yeah.
0: In 2012, when the game first came out, the games were, uh, the endings were even less fleshed out here than they were here. Mm. Um, there, there was no post-game cutscenes uh, showing, showing the surviving crew members uh, uh, doing activity. Uh, the, the, it, it was basically much shorter, a much shorter roll to credits than, uh, than what you experienced in legendary edition. I think that DLC cap happened a couple months after the, uh, uh the game launched but um in an amusing co- coincidence I picked red each of us went a different direction um I I destroyed the mass relays and all synthetic life in the universe but also because I had more than 5000 uh war assets or whatever uh Shepard is shown t- still alive and breathing on earth after the uh uh a- after the events but I think I think the only way to get that outcome with the possibility of Shepard surviving is if you pick destroy and you have a ton of war assets above, I I think above 5,000, but I don't know the exact number. Um, but, but again, that was just my, my, my Shepard's, uh, love of violence and hatred of the Reapers boiling over three games and, and disrespect for most aliens in general. Uh, again, uh, I, I, I treated my relationships with, uh, Liara and Thane as mostly sexual, but, uh, yeah, I I just was a bad girl shepherd the entire way, and I felt that destruction was what she would have chosen. But that also just... The dissatisfaction of not having Rex and Samara in the Citadel DLC... And how badly I felt for being meat rude to Tally and Liara throughout the game, and, and but seeing that the uh, ending cutscenes and post-game were uh, improved following my memory of 2012, that just made me want to replay this game again. I've said it multiple times this episode. I, I I'm a paragon deep down, and I want to do another run where I uh, I try a new class and do and, uh, and but cure the Genophage and hang out with Samara on the, in in Anderson's dope apartment. Uh, because Anderson's apartment, holy moly, have we mentioned that it has like five ba- bathrooms, five bedrooms, a hot tub, a pool table, at least three fireplaces? It is an out of control apartment. Yeah, Anderson must be very independently wealthy outside of his job. Ha- has to be because, I mean, I mean, th- that apartment is bigger and nicer than my house many, many times over. Uh, and, and the Citadel, that neighborhood in the Citadel looks expensive, but I don't know, I don't have real estate details to share with you yeah
2: apparently they sell like six bedroom
0: apartments there or something (laughs) i I mean i i guess i mean i i I didn't count all of them but that had to be at least five bedrooms right yeah something to that tune. there was bedrooms in each corner of both floors and and, uh, whatever it was it was an absolutely bonkers apartment and at least like two kitchens and a mini bar in one in one of the kitchens it was completely not crazy um and also Vegas cooking eggs at the at the end. At least, like, I he, I I didn't see him hook up with Ashley. Although your your romantic partner does wake up in bed next to you if things if uh if things go a certain way at the Citadel. But the, the whole time on the main floor, I I just heard James yelling in the background. Who wants eggs? Hey, Javik, you want eggs? Dally, can you eat eggs? Like, <laughs> all right, well, all right. If I'm talking about how James Vega likes his eggs, um, we're probably near the end of the episode. But uh. There was a special event on November 7th uh, uh, earlier this month where um, Bioware shared some details, uh, celebrated Mass Effect a little bit, and showed the snippets of a new trailer showing a damaged Mass Effect relay being rebuilt but with Cerberus colors and some voiceover from Liara. Uh, That that made everyone that's a that saw it and a fan of mass effect uh buzzing about a possible sequel there might be a mass effect sequel in the future but what we don't know anything about it especially since liara uh, liara's an asari an asari let la- uh live a thousand or, years or more so this could be right after the events of mass effect 3 or it could be the far far future but liara is still around um it, it individually i want to ask you um Let's assume that a Mass Effect sequel is on the horizon somewhere, maybe a few years from now. What would you want out of it exactly? Like, you don't have to pitch me an entire story idea, but how would you rat- like Bioware and EA to approach a new Mass Effect sequel? Hmm. I'll, I'll I'll go first, give you some time to think. Um, I think Shepard's story should be ending now. Like, having Shepard as a symbol of being a savior of the galaxy is good, I, I, but I think that it's time to design a new main character and face a new conflict in this, in this universe that I love. So maybe like having no returning characters other than Liara. Maybe the game takes place hundreds of years after the first Mass, the the first Mass Effect trilogy. But you get to choose. Uh, you you can make your main character any race instead of just a human, and have a sort of. A multi race alien spanning conflict. That's something I'm interested, in. like like a Mass Effect version of Dragon Age Inquisition, where it gives you more freedom in character customization. Because deep down, really, I just I just want to be a Krogan in this world. So <laughs> so like let me be a Krogan and face a new conflict and let Shepard uh, rest in peace is is my feeling for a Mass Effect future sequel.
1: Um, if I had to make some predictions, I know that it was not incredibly well received, but I don't think that they're going to let Andromeda go to waste. I feel like whatever happened in Andromeda, no spoilers if, since you haven't played it, uh, will impact uh, what happens in Mass Effect Four. Obviously, Liara is going to be a part of it because Liara is alive. Um, Liara could technically still be alive in the time frame of Andromeda because they do live uh, a thousand years.
0: I, I believe that Liara is the only character from Mass Effect One or Two that is guaranteed to survive Mass Effect Three. Um, yeah, uh, Edie, Edie can also die. Uh, if you choose the destruction path, because that that that'll wipe her out. But I believe that Liara and maybe also James are the only people guaranteed to survive.
1: I think it'd be pretty funny if an Asari showed up who looks exactly like Shepard and his voice by Jennifer Hale and is obviously Liara's kid. <laughs> I'd go nuts for that. <laughs> I, I would. I would not be surprised if that's that's where they go. If there's just this ridiculously badass Asari who sounds exactly like FemShep, and don't even comment on it. Just let it be there and just let it sit. Um, if, I mean, they're building a new Mass Effect relay. If I had to take a guess at a, at a storyline, maybe Andromeda, after everyone has settled down, they now have the technology and the know-how to build a Mass Effect relay so they can reconnect with the Milky Way and they go to the Milky Way and discover that everything has gone to hell, uh, maybe unintended unintended consequences, uh, because of the choices made at the end of Mass Effect three, I think Shepard should be dead. I do. I feel like Shepard's story is done. I feel like if you bring back Shepard, you're going to be undercutting whatever whatever resonance the the choices made at the end of three had. Um, I just don't see where else you can bring the character.
2: Yeah, I, I'm team let Shepard lie as well. Um, I'd like to see this pushed, you know, far enough in the future that we see like world advances that are beyond what we could like really theorize you know somewhere beyond the next century um into the point where like we're dealing with new technology that we haven't seen before we're dealing with new dynamics we have to learn about the universe again because that was one of my favorite parts of mass effect 1 was getting to know a universe um i also cursed the world a little bit when solosi mentioned dragon age inquisition because that was exactly what i was thinking <laughs> something <laughs> a little closer to inquisition let me make my own character let I, me play within this world a little more
0: I enjoyed Dragon Age one, two, and three quite a bit, and I think they parallel Mass Effect a little bit because with each one, they got a little bit better and smarter and more inclusive yeah. about about how to handle things like uh, l- l- like romance and a, and a multi ethnic, multi race world. Um, again, I, th- I think that the romances in Mass Effect got better uh, options and better dialogue from one through three. Um, but uh, I liked Dragon Age. In- I didn't like Dragon Age two because you were forced to be a human in that game. And uh, and more, more more locked into a certain character type, but in Inquisition, you could be a canary for the first time, or you could be a dwarf again, and I I, I loved that because my my favorite route in Mass in a uh, Dragon Age Origins is the is dwarf noble. So like I and and I, and I like Shepard and I like what they do with Shepard in Mass Effect, but I kind of wish I could have I could be a main character, Krogan or Asari, because I I think these the world they built is so cool. I want to explore more parts of it. So that's my vision for mass for a future mass effect. But, and and I think they are making something. I don't even know if it's called mass effect four or not, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's coming. I feel like I might be wrong about this again. Like these are just
1: guesses, but based on the color scheme you were mentioning, uh, I think Cerberus in the Milky way is done. I think with the death of the elusive man, that Cerberus is gone. However, it would be very, very interesting. um, If Cerberus, makes an appearance in uh, in Andromeda 2 or what, like in that world because no spoilers, no, I don't think this is spoilers. there are hints that there's somebody else in the background who's responsible for this mission uh, to the Andromeda galaxy. And logically it's not logically that group could be Cerberus or could have been the elusive man. So the idea that like thousands of years later or a thousand years later, Cerberus suddenly shows back up in the Milky Way uh, with some kind of a plan to assert human dominance. That would be interesting. I don't know how interesting
2: interesting it can be if it's uh, taking that much from Mass Effect Andromeda, but... I liked Mass Effect Andromeda. I really did. And I love the idea of pulling from it because the concept of Mass Effect Andromeda is really cool. Um, If I'm being my, my pessimistic self and putting on those pants um i don't think Your you're gonna pessimistic do pants. my pessimistic pants exactly thank you <laughs> you should probably not
0: abbreviate that as you know my piss pants yes. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah my my my, my pp I, lo- I love putting the- i love putting on the pp yep <laughs> i <laughs> i'm
2: good i'm good uh i i don't see them dipping into that well just because it underperformed so much i don't think they're going to want to lean on it too much but i think we are going to see at least acknowledgements and codex entries and I mean, I'd be happy if I were wrong because that setting is so cool. There's so much more that they can do with it given a little bit of time. Um, Whatever they choose for Mass Effect 4
1: or Andromeda 2 or for Mass Effect New Beginning, whatever they call it, whatever the release date is, please take three months after that. Just say, here's the release date. Now let's move it three months later so we have time to actually debug the damn game.
0: I I think it is far too optimistic that they are going to... Reference Mass Effect Andromeda at all in in, in a p- potential future Mass Effect project. I I think the Legendary Edition was trying to reignite people's interest, and they want us to forget Mass Effect Andromeda ever happened. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, it, but we're all optimistic about the future of Mass Effect just because this is a genuinely great trilogy and a genuinely wonderful world they created. So I, I I'm very confident that we are getting more Mass Effect eventually. But I doubt it's I doubt it's going to be related to Mass Effect Andromeda. But if if we're talking about Mass Effect Andromeda and Wes's PP going into the well, then (laughs) I I, I think it is time to end the episode for real. Um, My pessimistic pants. (laughs) <laughs> i'm not oh, making fun of you i swear it's i like to great. think i'm a wordsmith <laughs> <laughs> well um that's been retro encounters month of mass effect listeners i uh, thank you so much for joining us on this journey through a trilogy of games that released from 2007 to 2012 and and, and beyond um i think it's really satisfying i think that legendary edition is a is a must play if you have enough uh, first person shooter tolerance to get through a brilliant rpg um that that's sometimes problematic but most of the time excellent uh i again my my thought after finishing it this time around was i i want to play it again probably next year and that may yet happen but uh there won't be any more retro encounter episodes on it because i think we've uh over, all 3 of these episodes have gone fairly long so i i think we've um exhausted the mass effect well uh, as far as uh, we're concerned here on RPG fans retro encounter, what's next, Dragon Age? You know, I wouldn't be a guest to <laughs> Dragon Age Origins episode. I haven't played that game in uh in six or in at least seven or eight years. I think I played it right before Inquisition came out.
1: Well, hey, I haven't played them. I haven't played any of them yet. And Dreadwolf, is it is theoretically coming out in a few months, we could do a, we could do a dragon age month. Yeah. Let's there, do and it.
0: there, there is a dragon age animated series coming very soon to Netflix. I think in, I think in December. So that's probably soon after this episode airs. Um, so there's, there's Dragon Age interest. We've had a very heavy BioWare year because we did two episodes on Knights of the Old Republic in February, and now three episodes on Mass Effect in November. Um, it'll be a, maybe Dragon Age is in our future, but I can, I'm not going to make any promises. Uh, sure. The uh, we'll, we'll, we'll run it by by all the staff here at RPG Fan. But it wouldn't happen at least until 2023 because we have the rest of 2022 all planned out. Uh, coming very soon, we're having a Xenoblade Chronicles 3 spoiler cast. That episode is already recorded. Uh, Zach and a few other um, Xenoblade uh, fan fan people on RPG Fan did a full episode about Xenoblade Chronicles 3, one of the biggest uh, RPG releases of 2022. And I know that uh, that panel is going to be very enthousi- enthusiastic to talk about it, but I haven't uh, listened to the full episode yet. Um, but we're st- keeping with the Xenoblade theme throughout december because we're doing two episodes on uh, a slightly older xeno title xeno saga episode one Der Wille zermacht which is a uh, which was a playstation 2 game from the early 2000s uh, it was monolith soft's uh, first huge release um, following the uh, founding of the studio after, uh, after some key staff left Square Enix after making Xenogears. And uh, that game is beloved uh, by a lot of people. I have only seen a few of the opening cutscenes, and I'm going to make a sincere effort to play it for the first time for the podcast. So I'm excited to see exactly how that goes. And maybe we can, uh, we can get uh, Tyler speaking for less than 70% of the entire episode. Um, Because uh, he is the uh, biggest fan of Xeno Saga that I've ever heard of. So uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about when that happens. And I'll be starting that game very, very soon. Um, But also in December, we're doing our traditional year-end episode. Retro Encounter has done a year-in-review episode every single year since 2015. And we are not breaking tradition this year. We're going to have a look back on our favorite RPGs of 2022 at the end of December. And uh, in sort of a handshake and a nod with our uh, partner podcast random encounter jano i think around the same time we're gonna have our uh random encounter do a year uh, a look ahead to 2023 episode is that right
1: yeah 2023 is uh a month and a half away believe it or not so yeah it's about that time of year where we take a look at all of the big games that are coming out in 2023 and we got some holy crap some big ones coming out tears of the kingdom uh wow i mean right there just that um and we're probably also going to get some news about other releases in 2023 coming out at the uh the Game Awards in a few weeks.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection, the top of everyone's of everyone's list for 2023. No one, no one <laughs> no one gives half a damn about a I don't know. Is there a Final Fantasy game coming out? I don't remember. But but anyway, uh, in addition to Random Encounter and Retro Encounter uh, at the end of December, we are doing an episode about The Muppets that I'm very excited to record very soon. Um, We will hear all about my theory on why uh, animals should be... uh, should be grunt from Mass Effect 2 in this so excited. Uh, in, in this reinterpreted Muppet world of our favorite RPGs. But uh <laughs> you know I I uh, maybe you were thought I was gonna say something else. Uh retro encounter and random encounter are not the only podcast an RPG fan. There's also uh rhythm encounter about RPG music. Um we recently did an episode on Pokemon and I believe uh in December there's going to be uh, episodes about transport themes we have a music of the year feature being planned so in early 2023 that's going to happen but there's a lot of Rhythm Encounter uh, happening um, alongside Random and Retro Encounter and I, and I should maybe elaborate some more John, O Random Encounter is RPG fans flagship podcast that you host every two weeks and it's about a variety of topics but mostly focused on current events
1: yeah we had a we had a good episode I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think about when this episode is being released. Uh, it, I think the last episode would have been you and I talking to the gang at uh, z Games. I think
0: you're right, yes. We we talked about uh, This Way Madness Lies, a comedy RPG released uh, earlier this month by Z-Boyd Games, uh, Bill Sternberg and Robert Boyd. So uh, there's that interview podcast. Another uh, random encounter episode recently was uh, you and Caitlin talking about um, uh, a- ace representation in RPGs. That was a fascinating discussion and a feature that uh, Caitlin wrote for RPG fan as well. But uh that's uh, RPG Fans 3 Podcasts, uh, Random Encounter, Rhythm Encounter, and Retro Encounter. You should uh, subscribe or listen to those however you prefer, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or however. Please give us feedback however you can. But there's many other ways to interact with RPG Fan. You can email the podcast retro at rpgfan.com or visit rpgfancom on Twitter, rpgfancom on Instagram, RPG fan on Facebook and with corresponding discord, YouTube and Twitch channels, something going on on all of those basically every day. Uh, there's also an RPG fan shop that was introduced earlier this year. If you go to rpgfan.com slash shop, you can visit our, uh, uh, our shop website hosted by, tpublic.com where you can find rpg fan apparel coffee mugs accessories and a variety of other things with more designs to come in the future but uh if you want to uh like uh give us feedback as individuals not as a podcast let's tell the listeners how to reach each of us uh, starting with you Jono uh, you can find me at jlogan at rpgfan.com. <laughs> Wes, same question to you. Uh, you can find me at the Burning Wreckage of Twitter at Wes And listeners, to find me, I'm a couple places in the Burning Wreckage of Twitter. I'm at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoca for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So we did it. We saved the galaxy, each of us choosing to do so in a different way. Um, but we don't know exactly which of those interpretations might make it to the future of this galaxy, but, uh, while we still have a galaxy to live in, thank you. Good night and good luck.